Hello and welcome to the Money Next podcast series. Today you're going to be listening to part of our event series on the money, on the topic of competition versus collaboration. Our On The Money event series is a live dynamic and fast-paced session with questions put directly to each of the contributors. This particular session will pour over existing partnerships between banks and fintechs, shedding light on the challenges of maintaining these relationships and exploring the potential opportunities they bring. Now, over to Mark Johnson, our event director, who will introduce you to our panellists for today. Hello and welcome to On The Money. My name is Mark Johnston and I'm your host for the next 45 minutes. Today's discussion is all around collaboration and competition. Now, let's introduce our expert panellists. Joining us today, we have Rita Martins of HSBC. We've got Cindy Young of MasterCard. We've got Niall Bellabara of Deutsche Bank. And we've got Scott Donnelly of Capital Box. And in the moderation seat, we've got Chris Owen of Capgemini. Now, Chris will be bringing all your questions, all your opinions through into today's discussion. Okay, we've got a lot to get on with, so let's move swiftly on. Today's discussion, competition versus collaboration. Let's get straight into it. Our first question for our panellists. What's caused the recent influx of new partnerships between banks and fintechs? And what are the benefits? Cindy, welcome to On The Money. If you could please set the scene and take us through some of the benefits from your point of view. Fantastic, thank you. Yeah, I think the recent influx is caused by really interplay of three <coughs> main things, right? One is how you know people ask how we expect um, what we expect from banking. Uh, second is technological advancements, and third is regulation, which is essentially a accelerator of this. So, the first one around you know what we expect from banking, right? I mean, it's no secret that we want everything on demand, quick, easy, but it's important to understand and kind of dig deeper that there is a generational impact here, right? The the uh, digital native generation, Generation Z, has now grown up and has, is representing an important um, part of the consumer base, right? Um, even though, you know, they're at the moment like six to 24 year old with the impact they have either directly or through their parents, they're representing 143 billion of purchasing power. They're a third of the global population. That is you know, quite a significant impact. And this population, right, they have never seen a world without Internet, without social media, without mobiles, um, without constant connectivity. Uh, their attention span is you know, eight seconds, and that's actual research. I haven't made that up. Um, and and it's, they compare their mobile banking experiences to Spotify, to Google, Amazon, you know, Amazon Prime, uh, and that reflects immensely on what how they see banking. Um, and I think as we have seen some services like you know Uber is always you know seen as a, as a uh, industry changing sort of example around how payments are seamlessly integrated. We have experienced these now for a while and we like them. There's huge demand and there's going to be more of them. And over the last year, the, the pandemic has only accelerated this shift towards uh, digital adoption. And then secondly, so around the um, technological advancement, right? Things like cloud computing, API economy, all of these things have become you know, possible. And that has um, basically moved to us to more sort of unbundling of financial services and made this uh, what we call the banking as a service model possible, right? So in the old days where banks will be maybe um, maybe you know, building everything on their own in the 90s, et cetera, with IBM, Oracle, et cetera, now they can take modular solutions from different partners 
and get to market a lot faster and at a fraction of the cost. And it's a bit of a chicken and egg, right? Without the you know, technological advancements, we can address what consumers are you know, wanting and the way demands are changing. But also without the demand, there's not going to be enough investment in technology to enable that. Uh, so that's kind of worked hand in hand. Uh, and last but not least, regulation has um, accelerated this. So obviously in the, in the UK, we have open banking, Europe, the, the um, payment services directive, but um, really all around the world, open banking, whether it's driven by regulation or industry, it is taking hold and it is forcing banks to open up their data. Therefore, more third parties, new players come in and offer new services that might you know, um, better address some of the, the unaddressed problems. Um, and that's that's only sort of accelerating that um, partnership because banks really have a, you know, a number of options, right? How to play, but really all of them require partnerships to thrive. Um, I would argue. So I think really it's the you know changes in consumer demands, changes in the advancement in technology and regulation are the three things that really have been playing hand in hand to accelerate the partnerships that we have seen in the last um, uh, years. Great, thank you very much for that, Cindy. Uh, Rita, did you have something to add to about the uh, the benefits uh, of the partnerships, please? Um, yeah, so I, I totally agree with what Cindy was saying. I guess the only thing I would add to that is that there is also um, a bit more maturity in the markets in terms of the partnerships. So if we think about the banks, the banks really started this journey really to try and innovate internally, to try and understand what were their problems and what technology they could do internally. And then as they went on this journey, they also started partnering a bit more with fintechs um, and the initial partnerships, it was in smaller numbers, but also meant that both sides could really learn how to collaborate together. Um, and I think now that there has been some of that, that's why there's a bigger uh, partnerships in the market, there's many more partnerships in the markets. Um, and the benefits are clear from, from both sides, really. So from the banking side, you can really quickly uh, leverage the solution and the technology from, from fintechs. And then from the fintech side, you can very quickly leverage the customer page, which is quite significant in most of the, the big banks. And of course, learn with each other. So for example, in terms of regulation, the bank will have come through the regulation for a long time. They really know the regulation while the fintech, it's almost on this journey. So it can also help on that side. Great. Thank you, Rita. Um, Niall, uh, welcome to On The Money. Your point of view, the benefits you see from partnerships from your, your, your seat in Deutsche Bank. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. So I think the first and foremost, the, the reason for fintechs and banks to partner is on two sides. On one side, maybe some fintechs had started many years ago with the idea that they could go it alone, that they could conquer large sections of the markets alone. And as they journey through this effort, they've discovered that their business models are, are struggled with customer acquisition. In particular, I'm thinking of the robo-advisory area where I've seen that many ventures, you know, Scalable Capital, Money Farm, and many others started B2C and then gradually moved towards B2P to partner up with banks, realizing that the cost of acquisition of a customer, which essentially is trust, which is at the bedrock of foundation of the financial system, is really hard to start from zero and gain that. And then on the other side, on the banking side, I've seen that the pace of technological change is so fast that to stay ahead and to have amazing technology in all spaces is more and more and more challenging for large banks. And so 
this way of partnering up with uh, fintechs in order to gain this technological advantage is becoming ever more part of the overall strategy of large banks. And so in, in particular, Deutsche Bank, we have a globally distributed team, a fantastic team from East Coast, West Coast, London, Berlin, even Singapore to keep abreast of it out all of these technological changes because it's ever more important to, to be ahead in, in, uh, in the technological space. And this can only be done with partnerships because the speed and the variety of technological change across the financial services industry is so vast that that is uh, the only reasonable uh, strategy. In fact, we spend a lot of time with a great team globally distributed doing so. Great. Thank you very much for that, Scott. Uh, sorry, over to you, Scott, now. Um, a word from you on, on, on the benefits. Um, you know, what kind of benefits do you see in the partnerships? Yeah, I mean, I think the value exchange is really, you know, banks have their legacy systems, legacy processes. So uh, for them, it's a way to circumvent the legacy systems and processes. I mean, fintechs, in a lot of ways, have a competitive advantage simply by not having legacy systems. So we're moving into a space where there's like these sort of big, giant battleships uh, with all this sort of, um, you know, it takes a long time to steer these things. Um, and we don't have to do that. I mean, that's that's simply, a, a, you know, we could iterate and innovate and do things much faster. So it makes sense for the banks to partner to be able to sort of tap into that. And then for the fintechs, I think it's really a customer base access thing. I mean, one of the biggest struggles, you can have some of the most amazing technology, but on the customer acquisition side, as Niall had mentioned, um, you know, that trust and that sort of existing base and the name and everything like this, uh, that's that's really, really valuable on the acquisition side. So I think it's it's definitely a win-win uh, on both sides and there's a, a pretty good exchange of value. And then I think in terms of the maturity, uh, why it's happening more now, I mean, four years ago, most of the fintechs were pretty green. Uh, they were pretty new and this would have been quite risky for a bank to, to go and gamble on. But now, I mean, quite a few have proven themselves over the past, you know, let's say five to seven years. And it's a much safer bet to go and partner with fintechs uh, now that have established themselves than it was, you know, a few years back. Great. Thanks very much for that, Scott. Um, Chris, I know we've got a question on the chat. If we come over to you, how are you doing, Chris? Are you okay? Yeah, very well. Um, so we've got a question for you, Sandy, if that's okay. So as someone that's taken a global around um, partnership solutions, particularly with startups in this space, I've heard sort of two main drivers here on the on the fintech side. You know, the access to customers and um, you know, cost acquisition. You know, the incumbent side, the larger banks and finance players, the ability to accelerate their technology innovation. But what are the sort of tangible measures you're seeing put in place that um, the either side are, are looking to sort of measure? Um, so the question is, what are the tangible measures being put in place to? What sort of KPIs do you see in either banks or fintechs lay down as they go into these um, partnerships that make sure they're they're on the right track? Yeah. Um, so I mean. Honestly, it, it varies hugely, right, on what technology, what the partnership is about, uh, what kind of partnership it is, because, it, again, it, it, there are so many variations, to be honest. Um, I think, I mean, what is really important is to really approach all of them sort of one by one. I mean, what we see in the partnership is you need to dedicate proper time at the beginning to not only scope that partnership properly, um, you know, if it's, again, you know, too large, too ambitious, it might fail. You need some early kind of quick successes. If it's too small, nobody will really see sizable benefit to do anything with it. Um, at the same time, you know, to the point of KPIs, 
you need to understand what's the objective and therefore set them according to your objective. So it's quite sort of hard to sort of in a vacuum, I think, to, to establish some KPIs, I would say. Great. Uh, thank you very much for that, Sandy. Thanks a lot, Chris. OK, let's move on swiftly. Is it always plain sailing for the bank and fintech partnership? How do these partnerships work in practice? Uh, Rita, if we come to you, plain sailing in your, in your, uh, in your experience? Um, no, they are not. That's the reality. Um, we're hoping to change that, I guess. But the reality is that it's, it's typically very two different companies that are coming together as a partnership. So I think we already talk about like a, a bank, you have big legacy systems, the culture is totally different. You have um, big teams, sometimes global teams. Um, you have a lot of processes, you have the right KPIs to make sure that you have the compliance and you have the, the regulation in place. And then when you look at the fintech, they're much more nimble, they don't have the, the legacy systems, the culture is much more um, innovative and fell fast. Um, and it's really how do you bring those two together. So there's a few things that can really help that we have seen that help, but the, the honest truth is that it's not easy and there is a lot of important time that needs to, to happen in the beginning to make sure, to, to what Sandy was saying, to make sure that you put the business case, but also that you share that business case with your partner and that you are aligned on what each one is trying to achieve from it um, and that you almost have um, checkpoints to go and do it. Um, I think it's also important that you have, from the, from the big bank, let's say, it's important that you have the right sponsorship internally uh, not just having the right SME and stakeholder, but also having the right budget. Um, it's also important that you have an onboarding process that can help you not take one year to onboard uh, new fintechs and new uh, partners. And it's also important that you have uh, methods that will uh, let you to try and test these new partners quickly before you go to a big partnership with sometimes Zoo Pilots, for example. So having things like sandboxes, having prepared data, synthetic data, or data that you can use for those partnerships is something that really starts in the right way. Um, and then I think from the FinTech is really just making sure that you have all the, the regulatory, all the compliance documents in place. So when we go to the onboarding, we can also do it fast from your side. Uh, but it's also just being aware that partnerships bet between FinTechs and, and banks, the reality is that it takes a long time um, these are uh, partnerships that will take long meetings, that will take a few months if we are honest. So it's also just being aware for that and making sure that both parties continue communicating and saying, is it working, what's not working, and try and really work together as a partner. Thank you, Rita. Um, Cindy, in your experience, straightforward to manage these partnerships? Not at all. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's very challenging. It's very challenging to set up the right partnership and also manage it just because you set it up doesn't mean it's kind of done tick box. Um, I think, I mean, I think Rita explained really well sort of some of the challenges, right? Why, you know, there's, there's cultural differences, system differences, organization differences, there's so many differences. Um, what we have seen, and I mean, I think there is like a statistic that like seven out of 10 partners, partners basically feel that they don't see eye to eye with their partner. 50% uh, like feel that they don't actually have the right partner, but kind of stuck in it. Um, one thing sort of in our work, so we work a lot with um, bringing basically fintech solutions to help banks to implement them. And, and in, in our work, what we have seen that works quite well sometimes is having that, um, let's say, external third party, right, an expert facilitator, let's say, 
uh, to orchestrate, right, to create an environment for open collaboration, um, some, that somebody that can sort of speak both languages and really, in a way, translate to each other and really create that safe environment. Um, I think that that generally has worked very well. And in a way, like what we see is people generally go from a more sort of salesy mode to a collaboration and has to really solve problem and literally put everything on the table mode. And that's a very subtle difference. But that really kind of the, the point at which where I've seen the partnership starting to take a very different um, direction. Um, and I think, you know, secondly, I think, again, some of the things sort of Rita alluded to, like piloting, right, having that first test to, to show the credentials of that this partnership can work. And, and it's very important, again, to set that up. And I think it's a very specific expertise, really, to setting the KPI, setting the scoping, making sure that it has the right governance. Again, there's, you know, a lot of the cases pilots don't have kind of C-level, you know, sponsorship, and that's a big um, challenge as well. Setting up the right hybrid teams from the two sides that will see through and end-to-end -end project management. There's a lot. And we, what we see is there's more pilots that are unsuccessful, unfortunately, than successful, really. Um, and, and, and I think one of the challenges is because they're not necessarily taking the time and the expertise at the beginning to be set up properly and also measured at the end properly. That's extremely important as well. Okay, thanks very much, Sandy. Um, Chris, over to you. I think there's a question on the chat, is there? Yeah, no, thanks, Mark. Um, this topic has set the chat on fire, I would go as far as to say. So um, I'm going to start with Niall, if that's okay. I'm going to pull a few of the questions together from Dave and from Alex, and it's around culture. So one of the things we've heard a lot is how banks would like to engage with fintechs because they see a more agile, more iterative, sometimes more customer-focused culture and they want to permeate that through their organization in practice do you have you seen that with um, banks working with fintechs or do you see which is it makes fintechs behave like banks uh, so that's a great question and in, and in some respects it's at the heart of uh, of the problem in some respects often it's not really a technological problem it's not a technological challenge the technology can be solved it can be solved in a small entity with a small business with a small 30-man team that works very well together but once you scale it once you make it global once you put the regulatory scrutiny of five jurisdictions once you bring it at that scale then it's really really hard and i find that the culture plays a massive part of what actually the the banks are trying to do in fact in some respects i'm very new to deutsche bank i'm only three months in but in one respect in part of my coming into deutsche bank it's really about that it's about hiring ex-entrepreneurs, fintech entrepreneurs, and bringing them in with a different vision, with a different skill set and mindset, and trying to persuade and be patient and understand the processes of the, of the larger bank to change the culture. And it's a, it's a, it's a very uh, fundamental item because, uh, you know, Deutsche Bank, 80,000 employees, you know, 150 years old. As, as Chris mentioned, legacy tech is one of our challenges. And so in that respect, the cultural challenge is one of the most fundamental ones. And I think it's, it's really part of this partnering up with startups that you can see how it's done on a small scale. You can see how agile teams are really working and thinking and you can make the comparison. How can we learn from that? How can we bring it into our reality? How can a bank of this size do the same thing? Obviously, it's not easy. It's obviously a massive challenge, but it is really at the heart of it because the technology in some respects is not the... the Yep, sure. Um, uh, an ironic time to drop out during a sentence on the technology. Um, well planned. 
So um, there's, there's a follow on here, which I'm going to send your way, Scott. Um, it's, a, it's a question from Kerry on the chat, which is, yeah, the, and the question on the chat is, um, when does a collaborative relationship become competitive and how do both sides manage that tension? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, yeah, there's always a concern if you sign a deal with a partner that you get cut out later on, right? Uh, that, that, that's definitely, I think this is part of the deal making, right? Uh, this is sort of how it gets into the, the, the the guts of the contracts and how you're going to work these things out and, and who owns the IP and things like this. But I think, you know, ultimately if there's enough value creation on both sides, hopefully you can, you can see these things uh, develop over time. An example of, of what she would say is, you know, I know that in, in the U S there was on deck who were one of the biggest alternative business lenders and they had a partnership, I think it was with, uh, with Chase. Uh, and then that sort of got terminated. Right. So and I'm not sure the background of that, but you know, that is definitely the dark side, probably, to this sort of thing where you know you, you become reliant on a partner and, and it gets pulled out. But I think, um, yeah, I, I think you know, it was a Jamie Diamond uh, just said something recently that he's scared shitless of <laughs> of fintechs and big tech in general. Uh, so I think this is, I mean, hopefully it leads to really sort of beneficial partnerships on both sides. But there's also this frenemy vibe in the background, kind of lurking there that. Um, you know, people are, are concerned. I think it depends very specifically on the type of business, right? There's some services that a bank can integrate that it's actually just an add-on, a value-add, a pure value, you know, creation thing. And then there's, you know, let's say the neo banks and, and lenders and things like this. This starts to get into the maybe where, you know, there could be a temporary partnership and a split off. But it's an interesting question for sure. But I think, um, it really depends on the space, you know, what, what type of partnership, what the product is and, and that sort of thing. So I think there's, a, there's still a lot of room where it's purely cooperation. Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you, Niall. And thank you, Chris, for that. Nice to hear the chats on fire. We could do a bit of fire in the, in the studio here. It's freezing in here today. So anyway, with the next question, we'll move swiftly on. Uh, with regards to existing projects, what tangible successes have we seen across financial services? Niall, if we come straight back to you, I know you have some observations to share on this, please. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I've seen all kinds of different partnerships from the very, very large ones. I, I've seen BlackRock Aladdin and the way they obviously it's a, it's a, it's a huge asset manager, largest asset manager in the world, but it sells Aladdin, which is a technology platform to its competitors in some respects. And so that partnership there. What I find really, really makes that partnership work is the subject matter expertise of, of BlackRock in this space and the technology prowess. And that's a huge, huge example, but it's on a, on a massive scale. On a smaller scale, I've seen also the partnerships that Elinvar, a, a small um, technology uh, provider here in Berlin, uh, providing technology for wealth managers and private banks. Great partnership again. The technology is again at the heart of really why does that partnership really work? But more importantly, I think that the success of these partnerships is understanding quite early on and quite clearly in the interactions between the two parties, who is doing what, when, uh, the roles, the, the, as, as, as uh, was said before, the, the stakeholders involved and to what extent are they involved in the day-to-day -day running of the project. And those are the fundamental ingredients that really make partnerships, I find, really, really work well. Um, one that I think is going to be 
massive uh, is a recently announced uh, partnership between Deutsche Bank and Google. I think that that one there has a lot, a lot of potential. I can, can't share any of the inter internal details, but I can tell you that the level of excitement within the bank of something of this order of magnitude, a large, large bank partnering up with Google, very exciting. And I see those kind of partnerships that are really, really delivering value in the end for the end customers and for both entities combined. I think those are the, those are really the, the the items that make things happen and it's very exciting. Scott I want to come to you as well you've got something to add on acquisitions I believe on this. Yeah I mean this is the other direction and this maybe leads back to the other question we had uh, how do you have it not dissolve into competition from cooperation acquiring the other companies one way to certainly do that um, and I think we see some of that I mean I, I spoke about on deck the other sort of second biggest alternative business lender in the U.S. was Cabbage. Um, they were acquired by American Express uh, last year, which was quite a big deal. Um, so, I mean, this is the other avenue uh, that they just sort of buy up uh, some of the mature fintechs. And again, the maturity of the fintechs, now that it's been, you know, some of these have been around for 10 years or more, uh, the viability of these businesses is pretty proven. The business models are tested. So it becomes uh, a much more, a much safer bet these days than it was five or six years ago to start actually just straight up acquiring uh, some of these businesses. So, I mean, that's, that's I think, something we'll see a lot more of in the next uh, year or two, especially since balance sheets have been tested with the crisis and things like this. So there might be some, some good opportunities over the next 12 months. Okay, thanks very much for that, Scott. Um, let's move on. Next, next question. We're making some good ground here, guys. Uh, listen, remember, this is your discussion. Get your questions into us. Pop them in the chat bar. We'll bring them into play. Okay? So... Final question for this section. Um, how are partnerships between banks and fintechs likely to change moving forward? Uh, Niall, if we come back to you straight away on this, uh, your, your thoughts, please. Yeah. Um, how are they going to change? I think bank, both banks and fintechs are likely to become more used to them. Uh, we were mentioning earlier on some teething problems in, in, in the relationships between what is fundamentally a cultural uh, difference of perspective or different way of working, cultural aspects. And I think both parties will get more and more used to doing them. I, For sure, I can see in the insides of Deutsche Bank definitely a, a push to do more of them, do more of them globally. And I think that that will accelerate the mechanisms inside uh, banks to, 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 to put them in, in on the right road very early on. So definitely more of them. I think it, They'll also become more strategically important if maybe in, in historically they've been ancillary or external system or non-core systems. I can see them gradually moving into, okay, partnerships, even for the very, very core systems. I can see that happening. Um, and geographically disperses another thing that I'd expect the partnerships to become more interesting. So not necessarily one technology for one jurisdiction to solve one problem, but more projects simultaneously done uh, globally. I, I can see that as being definitely uh, part of uh, the, the, the trajectory in the years to come. Thank you, Niall. Uh, Rita, your thoughts on how partnerships might change, please? Um, so I totally agree. I think there'll be many more, I guess there'll be especially many more discussions and there'll be many more pilots um, to make sure that it's the right partnership. Uh, I guess now that we have tried and tested banks and the fintechs that have tried and tested, it's easier and it's faster to do some, some pilots. So I'm sure there'll be much more pilots, much more discussions. And um, I totally agree with what Neil was saying. I think it's going to be much more strategic 
Um, so this year, for example, I think one of the key things that we are moving towards is much more around the environment, is much more around the social, having some social part of it from the fintechs, for example, and also from the banks. So that's, for example, an area where banks will be looking at is how can we, through a partnership with a fintech, for example, can help and co go more on this side of the environment and the social part of it. So that, that's something that um, I think will be much more always super interesting. Well, I think you have something to uh, add to that, did you? Yeah, just to interject very quickly, totally agree. I mean, on the ESG space, it's a massive area of interest for everybody in the financial sector, but it is also uh, acknowledged to be an area where, you know, traditionally there's not much expertise within. And so partnering up makes total sense. I totally agree. I hadn't mentioned it, but ESG, definitely a hot area for partnerships. Thanks, Niall. Uh, Sandy, let's bring you back in. What are your thoughts on how partnerships might change? Well, I, I see two main things. So one is instead of this sort of one-to-one -one relationship, it, I think it will become more one-to-many. Uh, so we've seen that sort of, you know, banks doing everything in-house, this sort of more modular, getting different uh, modules together. I think we will see more uh, pre-integrated sort of complementary fintech solutions being offered um, in a you know technology platform and the relationship therefore moving one to many. I mean this would you know probably have a standardized API, standard sort of data security, billing, etc., and really um, lower the cost of integration you know across across different players. Um, so that's one. Uh, the other one I think very important is I think there'll be more um, more parties right again between fintech and bank. Uh, we're already seeing more and more like retailers, right, uh, governments, uh, the payments tech providers like MasterCard, Visa, I mean, already very, very active in the partnership space. They have been acting, but I think the activities have been increasing and will continue to do so. Um, you know, recently, I mean, telcos, for example, is a very important part of the ecosystem increasingly becoming. If you look at, for example, like Sub-Saharan Africa, where, you know, already 10 years ago with M-Pesa, mobile money started and now they're going through a, the, the second um, evolution of it uh, where telcos are getting banking licenses, distributing more financial products, um, servicing use cases that are beyond the initial P2P like bill payments, merchant payments. So in, in one sense, for example, telcos act as distributor financial products more and more. But on the other hand, um, they can also be and they are already data providers, right? They have um, very unique data, especially in the area of uh, alternative, you know, using alternative data to reach um, unbanked populations, for example, which is a very booming, you know, sector, especially over the last year or two, uh, and, and even more so for COVID. So all of these other players, and uh, I mean, if you look at governments, right? Governments always have huge power in terms of, um, with policies, they can really drive, you know, masses to, to digitize, digitize payments. But in addition to that, you know, a lot of them are playing around now testing the digital currencies. And I think we will see more and more partnerships across, you know, three, four different players um, that will um, bring new solutions or scale, help scale some of the existing solutions uh, in the market. Thanks very much, Sandy. Um, Scott, finally, back to you. Uh, any further points to add um, on how, how partnerships are likely to change moving forward? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, in the future how many of these are actually incubated or sort of nurtured from an early stage by the banks themselves. I mean, we have three 
innovation lead sitting here. Obviously, they're thinking in this kind of direction already, but uh, you know, a lot of banks have a sort of you know lab or accelerator or incubator. So, I mean, if you know where your weak points are and you actually could just start a company and, and have a piece from the very beginning to solve your problems and partner with later on, uh, that's also, I think, you know, something we'll probably see more of uh, going into the future, which makes a lot of sense. Thanks very much, Scott. Um, Chris, let's come back to you. Let's bring in some questions. What, what have you got for us, Chris? Cool. Thanks, Mark. So um, first one we've got is for Niall. And I'll give you the kind of uh, provocative question warning. I think it's, it's, a, it's a belter. So um, it's from Nils, and I'll quote him verbatim. You need 50 smart contracts and a few people able to manage risk to do banking. So why does Google need Deutsche Bank? Oh, I can see the controversy in that. Um, I think we have to go back down to the really the essence of a financial system to answer that. Why isn't it so easy? Because the question is, is reasonable, right? Technologically, why don't we just solve it as, as the answer suggests? Why don't we just go out there and solve the technology aspect of it? But I'm not, that is definitely, in my opinion, not the answer because money isn't really, though money starts as a technological in, uh, instrument, there is no aspect of money that is not digital from when it's, from it's born, if you want, to when it's consumed. Every part of that journey is technological. However, money is a human construct. We attach value, we as society, and that means that it's an emotional decision, and the emotional decision is based upon trust, and the trust is based upon the brand that says that your money is safe. And so even though technologically we could create an amazing uh, blockchain constructed, all bells and whistles technologically, that is not the answer because the fundamental of a safe economic system is based upon institutions that can be trusted. And so that goes back to our point previously is why do many startups go B2C, think that they can conquer the world with their own brand, and then they discover that humans trust other humans based on reputation, on brand. You know, Deutsche Bank has been around 150 years, has a great reputation, has great reputation with the regulators, has great staff. So that really goes to the, to the essence of, of why isn't it so easy to just go out there and rebuild it and why don't the customers come on their own it's because it's a human decision and it's based upon trust as to why does deutsche bank need uh, google that's an interesting one it goes around to the cultural aspects of how does technological innovation work like deutsche bank has a brand deutsche bank has the customer deutsche bank has the infrastructure for access to millions of clients globally distributed but it is needing maybe this partnership uh, to really push the envelope on the innovation front. In fact, we're planning to co-innovate great ideas with the Google team. So it's, it really goes down to the heart of where money is going as a, as, a, as a technological development where you need these new skill sets that in some respects Google has a complementarity to, to Deutsche Bank. But you couldn't just take Google on its own. That's why they see part of this, of this partnership as being solid and very interesting. I think great answer on the spot. Um, I think trust brand i think that's a really really powerful part of of how those partnerships they sit on so super super answer um keeping on the theme of i guess other industries and players that are going to start or could start encroaching on the traditional banking space i'd like to come to you rita if that's okay and um just wondering as you know the role of the lead here is potentially being an orchestrator of fintechs that can create great propositions and products for customers what are the other industries or players that you're worried about that could come in and start eating your dinner in HSBC? Well, I'm not sure it's um, coming in and start eating our dinner. I guess the 
the gist of this conversation is really to have a collaboration and partnership. So there is, I think there is enough space for everyone really. And that's the main thing is to make sure that in the end, the customer does have a better experience. I'm a customer of financial services. I want in the end that my experience to be much better than it was before. There is definitely in the financial services at the, uh, companies are coming, so we mentioned big tech quite a few times here. So, like Neil was saying, Google, uh, Microsoft, uh, Facebook, and so on. Um, it will be interesting to see on that. Um, and then there is also potentially there is the other stream of thinking that any any company is going to be uh, in financial services. So Uber, for example, could come into the financial services space. It is, I guess, easier thinking than then, just because. Uh, realistically, financial services is a very complex uh, industry and there is a lot of regulation. So I think there is a, all of these different companies are definitely interested. They will definitely try and come in. The question is how or do they have the right skills to make sure that, that uh, they apply to regulation? Can they do it by themselves or do they need to partner with, some, with someone else? Cool. That's great. Thanks, Rita. I agree with that. So um, I'm just going to Go on a similar theme over to you, if that's the case, Andy. So we've heard about telcos, which you, you talked about. We've heard about big tech. Are there any other industries or players that you think we should be watching out for that could um, start to move into this space over the next few years? I don't think anybody knew, I would say, but I think increased activity, right? Again, we refer to big tech. I mean, I'm personally very interested. I think what has changed, obviously, you know, the Google, I mean, Amazon has been playing around with financial services for a very long time now. We've seen the sort of Apple, Google wallet since like 2012 or so. Um, so their presence is not new, but what is, I think, new over the last year, which potentially is also sort of accelerated with, with COVID, is um, they are increasing the activities, right? And I think we see, I think there was a period where everybody was waiting to see how they were going to play. Were they going to build a bank? Like, what were they going to do? And we are now clearly seeing quite consistently, maybe Facebook is slightly different, but quite consistently, everybody is partnering to get into financial services more, not necessarily getting a license. And we're seeing a lot more of these, I think, big bank, big tech partnerships like the Dolce one we talked about, but obviously the Apple card, right, with, with Goldman MasterCard. Um, we've seen, I mean, I think something that was quite interesting is um, Amazon partnering, right, with Goldman to offer their sellers, um, uh, look, you know, loans essentially during the COVID period, and that was the first time Amazon allowed that, right, a, a third party to come in, even though they've been doing it themselves. I think that's a massive shift in mindset in terms of being more open to partnerships and seeing the value. Obviously, if they hadn't seen the value, they wouldn't have done that. Um, I think, I mean, especially with kind of the, the big tech, big bank partnerships. I think what I'm seeing is right, big tech have with massive data with their daily kind of user base. Um, they are so much better than the banks in terms of using that data, leveraging AI, machine learning to really get insights to inform their services, their go-to-market and what they market. Um, and, um, and they are in a way, well, at least for now, sort of secluded a bit more from the regulation, at least not, you know, they're not regulated as a bank for, for sure. Um, and I know the scrutiny is kind of increasing and that might change going forward. But what, um, whereas what kind of banks are really bringing, I think, to big tech is that trust, I think, very important that we talked about, uh, but also financial services know-how, right? It's not just technology and how people interact with money and, and think about it. 
is, is slightly different. Um, and even just the access, just the access to funding, right? Like having a big balance sheet to give out those loans. And I mean, what banks are really good is that getting those deposits and managing the risk and giving out the loans. And that's again, special expertise that, you know, if they really wanted, could, you know, Google and Amazon not do it? They could, but, you know, why should they do that where their focus is really consumer facing, having that customer experience and doing that really, really well, which they're already doing? Uh, today. So my eyes are fully on more on the sort of big tech, big bank, and this sort of three, four party partnerships in the, in, in, going into the new year. Great. Thank you very much, Sandy. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chris, for those questions. Um, we'll just rattle on. We've got time for a couple more questions if, we, if we're quick, I think. But first one I've got for you guys is uh, how has COVID changed the landscape? Uh, Rita, if we come to you for your thoughts on that, please. So I guess one of the key things, um, that change for everyone is really doesn't matter where you're based on. So I guess before there was much more partnerships uh, with companies that were on the same location that you are on. But nowadays I have had many discussions and have seen, been in many conferences with companies where honestly I don't even know where they're based sometimes. So I think that's really changed the, the concept that what is the right um fintech or what is the right partner it doesn't really matter where they are on um, i think that's the main thing the other thing that covid changed a bit was that i guess from from both sides it gave us a bit of time to really stop and think about our strategy um, and in some cases even gave time to really retrain some of the, the people which is very important like we talk about culture in a big bank it's really important i think was one of chris questions um, it's really important that you have the right SMEs and, and sometimes they, they can have the right spirit, but they don't have the right knowledge. So it also gave us a bit of time to retrain, which I think it will mean that once we leave the situation that we are now, we're going to have um, many more people that can be part of those conversations. Thanks, Rita. And, and Sandy, COVID has changed so much. Your thoughts on how it's changed the landscape as well, please. I think it only increased reliance of uh, banks and fintechs and other players to each other, really, because I think what's really um, emphasized, the, the impact of COVID, what it emphasized is, one, like that banks have to be even quicker in adopting change and innovation and, and meet cons consumers digitally, whether the way they acquire, they service, whatever. And secondly, they, the, the need for um, more operational flexibility, right, uh, for, you know, address these kind of sudden shocks. Um, and, and that, you know, is not possible really to do, to, to do very quickly on their own. Um, so I think, and then on the fintech side, again, you know, funding, even though we still see quite strong funding on the fintech side, it is concentrated on more sort of mature later stage uh, fintechs. And we've seen, you know, a lot of news about their going concern, whether they can survive, etc. Um, so in a way, it's again emphasised the reliance of uh, the, the different partners, different players in this ecosystem to each other. Thanks, Sandy. I think we've got time for just one more, if we can, just before we're nearly out of time. But I just wanted to ask this question of, of, of you guys while we've got you here: uh, What's next for banks in 2021? Niall, your thoughts on that, please. Very succinctly, 
I would say that there are definitely more partnerships to come. Um, I see more reliance on them. I see a massive increase on online spending. So retail re retail spending moving a lot online. We're already seeing that. I see that as a trend that will inevitably keep going. Uh, I see more, unfortunately, more regulatory scrutiny. I see a proliferation of banks becoming smaller, but more of them, which means more effort for the regulators to keep on top of them. Um, and definitely more technology and more removal of, of legacy tech and definitely more of a move towards uh, cloud-based technology and, and repeat again, but definitely more partnerships. Thanks, Niall. And Rita, uh, what, does, what does 2021 look like for you guys? I, I agree. I think there will be more innovation, really, uh, both internally and also external with, with different partners. Um, just to finalize, I guess the other one is really uh, even between different fintechs, there will also be more partnerships there that then the banks can leverage that, the, the ecosystem, really. Thank you, Rita. And, and Scott, final word from you on, uh, on 2021. What does it look like? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things we hadn't mentioned, I think um, an interesting wildcard is sort of white label servicing of financial services. You know, there's a lot of sort of upstart fintechs out there sort of offering for non-banks to sort of have credit cards, banking, wallets, this sort of thing. You know, you see this in in, in, this, in Scandinavia with sort of Norwegian Airlines. They have a bank also. And there's some new fintechs that are coming that are going to kind of offer this white label banking to you know, completely non-bank related businesses with huge brands. Um, I see that definitely uh, as an interesting development over the next, let's say, two, three years. Great. Thank you very much. And, and, and that concludes for today. That's it. We're out of time now. Um, no one actually mentioned homeschooling, which I thought was quite an interesting thing. So hopefully we won't, we'll see the back of that. Anyway, thank you so much to our panelists. Thank you so much for your time. To Scott, to Niall, to Rita, and to Sandy, and of course to Chris, who's moderating today. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate that. To our audience, thank you so much. The chat was on fire. The questions were coming in. We really appreciate you taking the time to view, and thank you so much for that. You can... Catch up with everything on the Money Next website, moneynext.tv. Check out all the, all the videos we've got on there, all the live events we've got coming up. We've got a calendar full of shows. This was the first of the year, and they're only going to get better, I think, from my point of view anyway. Anyway, thank you very much. That's all we've got time for, and we'll be back again with On The Money this time next month. Thanks very much. So you've been listening into Competition versus Collaboration, part of our On The Money event series. So thanks very much for tuning in to the Money Next podcast series. Our next On The Money session will be available to listen to from February the 17th. The topic will be gender diversity and inclusion in financial services. Looking forward to seeing you then. Thanks.